Great, yes. So I hope you found it in your Bibles, Acts chapter 3. We're continuing our series, and I've got a good passage here. This must be one of the most dramatic stories um, of healing in in the whole of the New Testament, let alone in the book of Acts. So we've got a good one. Let's read it together, shall we? I'm going to read up to about verse 16, chapter 3 of Acts. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's uh, Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. And we're going to finish there for the moment. So it was three o'clock in the afternoon, and Peter and John were on their way into the temple to pray. And as they go into the temple, through the gate called Beautiful, and apparently it was a very beautiful gate. It was made of copper. It was, a, it was meters high. It was the most astonishing sight. As they were going in through the gate, there was a familiar sight, not quite so beautiful. A beggar, a crippled man. A man who'd been in that same spot every day for years, trying to catch people's eye, you know, trying to get just a few coins trying to gain some sympathy out of these devout people who were rushing in and out of the temple to pray. A man who we're told in the next chapter had been crippled from birth, and he's now over 40 years old. I mean, just imagine for a moment what life must have been like for him. Decades of being carried everywhere, of being at the mercy of others. I mean, uh, the humiliation of daily begging, just the rejection, the, the humiliation the isolation, the loss of dignity of any opportunity, a complete loss of hope, just one tedious, awful day after another, being left at the temple gate to beg, just eking out a sort of hand-to-mouth existence. I mean, this was surviving, not really living, 
And then one day, a day which started off like any other, changed his life forever. One day, two men stop and look at him and say the unforgettable words, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he does. I mean, he's not going to forget that name in a hurry, is he? The name of Jesus. Jesus did it. It's all about Jesus. Jesus transforming, miracle-working power. And of course, we all love the stories of healings and miracles, don't we? We'd all love to be part of those stories. We'd love to see those. We love to see those things happening. We'd love to do those things. And obviously, we'd do it if we did it in the name of Jesus, wouldn't we? Just as Peter did. But if people happen to think that there was something special about us because of it, then that might not be such a bad thing either. You know, if people said, did you know, you know, Christine's got this extraordinary healing ministry, an amazing gift, that would be okay, wouldn't it? We wouldn't mind if people included us in the wonder, the sort of reflected glory of such a ministry. But Peter, Peter won't have any of it. He won't leave people under any illusions that he's anything to do with this. It's all about Jesus. Just look on to verse 12. Men of Israel, he says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this happen? And then on to verse 16. By faith, you know, by faith in Jesus, this man has been made strong. It's Jesus who's given him his complete healing. And I don't know about you, but I love the transformation we see of Peter from the Gospels through to the book of Acts. It's clearly the same Peter, but something has happened to him, hasn't it? He's still a bit of a loudmouth. I mean, right through Acts, he's still the one who gets to do a lot of the speeches, a lot of the talking. And in the Gospels, it's the same, isn't it? It's always Peter who has pushed forward, you know, to do the talking. But often in the Gospels, you know, he puts his foot in his mouth. Now, though, there's a, there's a focus in everything he does. And that focus is Jesus. And because of that, everything else comes into focus as well. So Peter does something which I don't think he would have done back in the Gospels. We're told the first thing he does when he meets this poor, wretched man is he looks straight at him, verse 4. He looks straight at him. And when the passage says something like that, he looks straight at him, it means, you know, he really looked. It wasn't a cursory glance, but he, he's taking it all in. He's taking in the situation, the whole situation. Not jumping in with both feet as he would have done before. I mean, I don't remember doing, Peter doing a lot of looking back in the Gospels. You know, a lot of talking, yes. Talk for first, think later. But not a lot of looking. Well, I may not remember Peter looking, but I remember when someone looked at him. Do you remember it? Luke 22. We find the very same words. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. You know that heart-stopping moment in the courtyard when Peter had just denied Jesus. And Jesus looks straight at him, straight through him. You see, Luke, the author of both the Acts of the Apostles and of that gospel, the same author, seems to be making a connection between those two looks by using the same words. The first look from Jesus, you know, could have stayed with Peter forever, could have stayed with him just as a, fig, as a trigger for sort of self-loathing, self-doubt. But the risen Jesus has looked at him again, and he's changed him. 
And Peter is now to be trusted with the power to heal because of, not in spite of, but because of that look in the courtyard. Peter knows Jesus has seen him, really seen him. Not the strong, brave Peter that he'd like to project, but the rather pitiful, pathetic Peter who doesn't have the strength of his convictions when it really counts. It means that Peter is under no illusion now there's anything in him that's capable of saving or transforming others. He knows what he doesn't have. But most important, he knows what he does have too. Silver and gold have I none, he says, but what I do have, I give you. He has the power of the risen Jesus in his hands. And that's what gives him the courage to then say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And I think it's quite interesting that the man isn't asking for healing. He's asking for money. You know, that's the height of his hopes, money to survive. You know, probably never crossed his mind to ask for anything else, that anything else was possible. He's resigned himself to this awful existence. And it's also empty and impersonal. You know, we're told he was carried, verse 2, as if he's just a bit of baggage. Just a bit of baggage carried to the temple gate where he was put. Do you see? Do you hear that again? Just like a lump of meat, he was put at the gate every day to beg. And unlike the friends we're told, you remember back in the Gospels, who, who took their friend, who lowered the paralytic through the roof to Jesus' feet in the hope that Jesus would heal him, this man doesn't seem to have such friends, no friends with such faith or loyalty. But then Peter and John come along and look at him, and they see something more, something the man probably didn't even recognize in himself. They see a human being in need of a touch of God. And they reach out and heal him in the name of Jesus. It's not just that he's been made to walk, you see, it's that he's been seen. Something intimate and personal has happened. Peter has looked at him, he's seen him, and he speaks to him. Now, how many people do you think have done that in recent months or even years to him? And if he, even if people had given him money, they, they probably avoided his gaze. They probably didn't engage in conversation. They probably just rushed past, you know, heads down, full of their own agenda. Just as we do, if we're honest. Just as we do. No personal interaction, no real thought, no compassion. Uh, just obligation or embarrassment or even irritation. You know, are you still here? But Peter looks, and Peter speaks, and Peter reaches out and touches him, verse 7. He takes him by the right hand. I mean, don't you love that sort of detail? He takes him by the right hand. I mean, when, do you think, when again do you think that man had been touched in such a way? Touched apart from just being picked up and carried and dumped in another place. An intimate, kind, loving act. Not just looking, not just speaking, not just giving a handout, but touching. As one commentator says, the power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. You see, Peter had watched and learned from Jesus. Jesus healing Jairus' daughter, do you remember? Taking her by the hand and saying, little girl, get up. Peter reaching out, touching the blind man's eyes. 
Peter had watched and learned from the master. And Peter may not have any money to give, but he knows he has something else far more significant. He has power. Power, the life-giving, life-transforming power of Jesus to give. And he takes the man by the hand and he helps him up. And instantly, we're told, the man's feet and ankles become strong. Verse 7, instantly. You know, he doesn't just sort of struggle to his feet and take a few tottering steps. We're told he jumps to his feet and immediately begins to walk. And not just walking, but leaping for joy. You know, there's no hesitancy here, no sort of cautious first steps as you'd imagine there should be. I mean, just think about it. These were the very first steps he'd ever taken in his whole life. The very first time he'd been, he'd been vertical, he'd been upright. He'd been lame since birth. His legs had never walked before. That's why, you know, this is amazing, isn't it? No physio needed. You know, those non-existent messages from the nerves to the brain immediately blown into action, just like a sort of spark igniting. Extraordinary. What an extraordinary sight it must have been. There in the temple courts, this, this slightly crazy man running and jumping and leaping around the colonnades, verse 11. You know what they say? I didn't say this. Someone else did. He went for arms and came back with legs. Sorry. Word spreads like wildfire, and people come running from all directions to just see this sight. The lame man who they'd seen up till then, sitting, begging, day after day, there at the temple gate, now walking and leaping and praising God. And Luke wants us to hear something very significant. He wants his readers to remember that this is what God promised would happen. Luke chooses his words, uses his words very carefully because this is the fulfillment, the direct echo of a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, a prearranged signal that God was doing a new thing. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, Isaiah says, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. See, God had promised this would happen. And Jesus, of course, as we know, had already brought about that prophecy. He'd made the lame walk and the blind see. But here we have this extraordinary shift in prophetic fulfillment. Now, now his followers call on the name of Jesus, and they too see his resurrected power at work through their prayers, through their actions. As one commentator says, the healings are signs of the presence of the kingdom of God in the same way that snowdrops are a sign of spring. See, snowdrops are the sign, aren't they, of much more to come, of just the beginning. And this healing is like a snowdrop, a sign of a new season. God's new creation has begun. And Jesus has come, and his resurrection power is now living and active in everyone who calls on his name, who believes in his name. It's a new season, and it's still all about Jesus. And that's why Peter is at such pains to tell the crowd, look, don't look at me. Don't look at me as if I made this happen. Peter puts Jesus at the center of the healing, because he knows that this is the only way real transformation happens. The only way is through Jesus. And the speech that Peter then gives to the crowd can sound, it sounds to me, a little bit harsh. 
You, know, you handed him over to be killed, he says. You disowned him. You murdered him. You killed the author of life. Until we realize that Peter's basically telling his own story. It's Peter's story universalized. Peter's story is our story. He knows, you see, the part he played. We can hear his story coming out. He reaches back into his own history of failure and betrayal, and he shows us how God reaches each one of us through our stupidity, through our weakness, through our blindness, and how God forgives and heals and transforms us. But the wonderful thing is that's not even the end of the story. That's not even the end of the story. That's just the beginning because he also gives us the power of the living Jesus to reach out to others, to pass on to others through his spirit in us, through the spirit of Jesus in us. Peter knows what he doesn't have, but he knows what he does have too. He knows what he has in his hands. You know, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Now, I'm aware that some of us here today do have money to give. We do have a bit of silver and gold, you know. And I don't want to put any of us off from putting our hand into our pocket and using that silver and gold. But Peter's making a different point here about what else is in our hands to give. He's challenging each of us to call on the name of Jesus. Because we won't know what we truly have in our hands until we start calling on the name of Jesus. Until that point, we'll be living within our own capacity, within what we know, within what we think we can give, what we think we have in our hands. But when we call on the name of Jesus, we reach outside of our own capacity, of our own limitations. I mean, do you think it was an easy thing? Do you think it was a regular, everyday thing for Peter to say to a lame man, get up and walk. I mean, no, his heart must have been in his mouth as he did it, mustn't it? And, and I can imagine, just to give me a bit of liberty at this moment, I can imagine John alongside him thinking, oh, no, 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 Peter, don't go there, don't do that. You know, this is going to be so embarrassing. Don't do that. But Peter knew what he had to give. Peter knew what he had in his hands. And we need to know as well, we need to know what we have. We need to know, yes, that we have gifts, we have experiences of life, we have time, we maybe have energy, compassion, vision. What could Jesus do with those things? What could he make of those things if we call on the name of Jesus? You know, I didn't know what I had to give when I was barely 21 and marrying a clergyman. I didn't know what I had to give when thrown into our leadership in our first parish a year later. I didn't know what I had to give when we were then asked to join a leadership team of one of the biggest churches in London. I didn't know what I had to give when we came here. You know, I, was, I had two young children and another one on the way. I felt I had very little to offer. I didn't have a big vision of what was in my hands. But the point is, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when we call on the name of Jesus, just as Peter did, he allows us to be part of something Part of things we never would have dreamt of. We never would have believed. So how can each of us say today, what can I give you, Lord? Not in my name, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Because it's all about Jesus. What do we have in our hands? Let's stand, shall we?
Let's stand and let me just pray as the worship group come up. We're going to sing a song before we just move into the second part, next part of our service. But let's just say to God, look, this is who I am. This is what I have. Yes, all my failings, all my doubts, all my fears. But I'm opening up my hands to you. And maybe some of us want to do that. Say, this is what I have in my hands, Lord. And I'm calling on you. Calling on you now. Do what you will. And even though we may not have the courage to go out and say to the lame, walk. Can each of us go out and reach people, see people, touch people, touch people's lives, give them what we have, the hope, the life, the love, the compassion, the understanding. Give them what we have. And I just have a sense that God wants to raise our faith level. Just as Peter said to the lame man, rise up. He wants to raise our faith level. So let's sing together.